When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the 10th episode of Kiwi and the Bird, Book Nerds in Session. I'm Taylor. I'm Kami. And in this episode, we're going to go into an in-depth discussion about the beguiling and puzzling The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. Now, as we discuss everything, and I mean everything, here's your one and only spoiler alert. alert. Kami, would you like to give us a spoiler alert sound effect? Yes, indeed. <clears throat> spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! And now, on to the show. When we first meet Grayson Hawthorne, it's in the principal's office of Avery's school. And he's basically come to collect her, informing her that she is a part of the will of Tobias Hawthorne, which is a billionaire that she does not know. And she is required to go to Texas to Hawthorne household to hear what is in this will. When we first meet Grayson in that principal's office, though, he's quite snobbish. He orders the principal out of his own office and has that certain bratty air to him as he's talking to Avery, basically thinking he's kind of above everything and everyone else. He, Grayson is exactly what I would think of if I was thinking of an old money rich boy. Like, he's very... Proper, but has this, like, superiority complex, supposedly. And he just, like you said, he just kind of thinks he's above people. And he thinks he's really intelligent. He's polite, but that doesn't mean he's not patronizing. Exactly. But almost instantly, Avery kind of has a spark with him. She's kind of lingering over him and noticing his silver eyes and and the little traits in his suit. <laughs> And his jaw. And his jaw. That could cut rocks. Mm-hmm. Including my geodes. Taylor's geodes. <laughs> they also have a little bit of bantering, which I, I always appreciate. Banter is one of my favorite things. But when it's discovered that Avery is heir to the Hawthorne fortune, that Grayson she- assumes that she must be a con woman that somehow infiltrated his household, manipulated his grandfather, and thus took their fortune away from them. He's very suspicious of her. He's like, my grandfather has no reason, has no valid reason in his in Grayson's head to give all of his fortune to some rando girl. And he's not wrong. I mean, if you look at this from an outsider's perspective, it is a really weird situation And it's a crazy one. I mean, what grandfather would disinherit his family and give all of his money to some random girl who who may not even be capable of handling that amount of money? I feel like Grayson is valid in thinking, like, you are suspicious. You should not be here. I'm going to figure out why you're here. And then he tries. He does. He, like, he does a full-on background check with her. And he, like... Make sure that his brother isn't alone with her. That may have been for personal reasons, though. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
But if you look at this from Grayson's standpoint, it would be really hard to hear that the grandfather you spent your life with, you grew up in his house, doesn't think you're worthy of his fortune. Not necessarily his fortune, but the legacy that he left behind. Yeah, and Grayson was the one who's kind of, like, really involved with all of, like, the business side of the fortune. Like, he was very much in their foundation and their business and, like, their analytical things. So it was like Grayson should have been the one who inherited the most, technically. He was the heir apparent. The heir apparent. He had put the most amount of effort in. Yeah. He wasn't even the oldest, but he had spent so much time and so much energy in his grandfather's investments and interests that I do feel like it is a bit insulting that he didn't get any of the money. Well, he he got 250000 which he'll receive at age 21, but to know that all that he has worked for is essentially being taken away from him, that's pretty brutal. It is. And then after that, you kind of see Grayson with his brothers, right? And his dynamic with them. So with Nash, it's basically just your person in my life. Essentially. They don't have, like, the super deep connection. He apparently has this very strong... I'm not, I'm not going to say hatred because they're brothers. But this strong... Competitiveness? Competitiveness and past with Jameson. And with Xander, he's just kind of... Yeah, that's Xander. With Grayson, you easily see that there's some sort of detachment he has with his brothers. Because of the past. He isn't close with them. And and the interesting thing about the Hawthorne brothers is that even when they are close, they aren't really. Because they were always in competition with each other. The book said over and over that Grayson and Jameson in particular, when they were trying to solve their grandfather's riddles, would work together and then betray each other at the end. Yeah. And that's a really hard siblingship to have. It's very love-hate, but also I have to win kind of thing. And the idea of winning, I think, overtakes their love at some points in the story. Well, when you're kind of set up against your siblings from a very young age, and you're doing it every single week, I can kind of get where that comes from. Like, they were made to do these amazing things. If all four Hawthorne boys were made to do these amazing things and they had patents and trophies and everything, but it was all because of the competition with each other. In the beginning, yes, I think Grayson is definitely a bit on the snobbish side, but I think everything he did in the story was actually pretty valid. I feel like it was fair for him to do. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He had his reasons. He wasn't just like this irrational person. He wasn't just being a jerk to be a jerk to Avery. No. But then, as the story progresses, you start seeing this this other side of Grayson. The first time you see him outside of his stereotypical rich boy kind of air about him is when this girl named Emily is mentioned, in which he kind of, he shows this rawness and vulnerability in response to hearing this girl's name. She has scarred him in some way. Basically, you're just like, oh, he has this emotional attachment. Oh, he's capable of this kind of emotional attachment to someone. And then you're like, oh, interesting. And through that bit of information, we're opened up to this person who Grayson was at one point in his life. 
He's different now. He's guarded. He's hurt. Before then, maybe he wasn't always like that. And you kind of see those dual sides to him of the person he was battling with the person he is now and and who his grandfather wanted him to be. I actually kind of see Grayson as a lion. I don't know why, but when I think of Grayson, I kind of think of a lion because he's smart, he's calculating, but he's also deeply devoted to his family. But he will also expand his protectiveness over someone if he thinks they've earned it, which Avery, I think, ultimately does in the end. Because when it's discovered his mom was the one who hired Drake to shoot her, he put his mom, he got his mom out of the picture for Avery. Because she became a person that he cared about, question mark? Loved, question mark? Definitely trusted. Definitely valued and appreciated. Yes. I personally like Grayson more than Jameson because I feel like Grayson is more honest and truthful because when he does things it doesn't seem like he's doing it to gain something like when he feels something toward Avery and when he shows that it's not to manipulate her into doing something for him whereas with Jameson he wasn't afraid to string her along in certain ways in order to get what he wanted that is true I will say I do prefer Jameson over Grayson but I have my own reasons for that but I definitely do see the appeal of Grayson because even though in the beginning he's started off as very smug and snobby and stuff, throughout the book you realize that there's this gentle side to him, which is very attractive. And I don't know why, but there's this one scene where Avery has to go to the Hawthorne Foundation in order to learn things because, you know, now it's hers, right? And she there then meets Grace in there. And then she realizes, oh, wait, I'm in a room full of pictures. Oh, wait, I think Grayson was the one who took all these pictures. And then you're like, what? This super formal and proper person travels around the world taking pictures? A soft side, question mark? Artistic side, question mark? Cultural appreciation, question mark? Yeah. And that was a really attractive side for me. I was like... Ooh, ooh, it like took down his smug snobby down to like a little like playful, cocky and pretentious. He became personal in that moment. And I liked how he described what taking pictures did for him, how it allowed him to see a different world. Yes, yes. See, that's, that's and that's he, he draws you in. Grayson is, the, is like this slow build character of just like drawing you in. And making you more attracted to him. That's why I love characters like Grayson. I love characters that slowly unpeel. Because that makes me want to go in closer and even deeper. And throughout the story, he kind of has this spark with Avery. But then, again, you're not really sure if it is a spark. Affection? Question mark? Romance? Question mark? A kiss, perhaps? Question mark? The answer is no. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> In the end, Grayson said, I'm not going to let another girl get in between me and my brother again. Sadly, I kind of wanted... This is the first time I've wanted a love triangle to actually, like, happen. And maybe maybe it is just because they're of pair of brothers who are broken and rich and very attractive. But I, I wanted there to be more conflict within that. But I understand why there wasn't. But there possibly could be if there is a sequel. Which I think there will. 
I hope so. Me too. Or I'm going to break into the Hawthorne household and find it out myself. (laughs) I also just felt really bad for Grayson just because of the whole Emily thing. Like, that girl was... Jacked up? Yes! She was just, like, screwed in the head. Like, okay, Emily. Like, I under, I get it. No, I don't get it. But I understand that you, she, like, she had a heart condition, which is hard, you know? It's like, oh, I can't do normal things. But she literally, like, involved everyone else in her issues and, like, used them to make herself feel better. She like, used what made her vulnerable to bring out the vulnerabilities in others and then manipulated those. Exactly. And what she did, in Grayson's case, you know, he loved Emily, we're supposing. We don't know for sure, like, completely confirmed. It is not. But basically, he blames himself for Emily's death. Which he, if you look at it from an outsider's perspective, he probably shouldn't. But you see, no, he was in that situation, so he feels guilty about it. And that's something that just kind of, like, racks him with guilt. And it shows, like, this emotional side to Grayson. And it shows how deep that wound runs. Whenever she's mentioned, he just kind of like, he freezes. And it's just, you can tell the effect that it has on him. It's like he's been hit. Yeah. You wish there was more romance, didn't you? At the very end with him and Avery. I just wish the romance was pushed in general. I felt like the beginnings were there. But if I was supposed to feel more of the emotional turmoil... And the sadness and the loss and not wanting to let go of someone and having two incredible people be so broken and you're there. I just, I I didn't feel like the story was committed to its romance. On both sides or just with with Grayson? On both sides. It didn't go as deep as I thought it could. I thought it could have had a larger emotional impact on me. And the romance intrigued me, but it didn't feel unstoppable to me. I think I kind of get what you mean. Like, I wasn't devouring the romance. Yeah, you weren't, like, completely fangirling over it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. But I did like the side of Grayson where he was more soft, where he was softer. Like, there were a couple instances within the book where it's described that he, like, he has a gentle touch with Avery. And can I just say... Those little things end me. But it's a little thing. I swear. I swear. It's the little things in romance that get me. And that's I, and that's how I spiraled. Those little gentle touches is how I spiraled into attraction for Grayson. Jameson Hawthorne is not a relationship type of boy. He's very... The first time that we meet Jameson, he's drunk, shirtless, and jumps off a balcony. Which, if that doesn't describe him as a person, then I don't know what will. I think Jameson's one of those characters that burns bright, but burns fast. In that he is so passionate and he's so driven, but that he can fall away quickly. He can get, he can exhaust himself and he can lose track of things. With Avery, he of course used her a little bit to help him solve the riddle that his grandfather left him. And I feel like he made that pretty apparent from the start. And I feel like Avery had enough clue-ins that perhaps his intentional intentions weren't completely pure. I still think Jameson felt things for her. But above all, it was all about the game. Now, with Jameson, I actually relate to Jameson a bit. Because 
when you have a goal you want to meet, it's very easy to let that goal overcome everything else. And it can be easy to let people and things kind of fade away as you just you just want to drive forward. And and I felt that a little bit when he kissed Avery and then pulled back and was like, hey, we can still solve this. And, you know, he was still pushing for that because he's clinging on so hard to that. He's clinging on so hard to that dream and you can see it and you can feel it. And so even though you know he's not treating Avery the way he should, you do understand why he is. You do. And especially when they when the story goes more into Jameson's past, you understand why he acts the way he does. He when he focuses on something, he focuses on it until the end. You know, he and he doesn't he does whatever he can to get to it. He's very driven. That's a that's I feel like it's a very good word to describe Jameson. He's very driven. And with all the things that his grandfather did with him and his brothers, I think Jameson had like an extra some something extra just because he was described as being like his grandfather and being described as being hungry and wanting more and everything, just having that ambition. And so I think that was also just kind of like a pressure on him because he was told like, you're exactly like your grandfather. You're so smart. You're all of this. And I think that kind of shows in his character a little bit. I think for him though, I don't perceive it as a pressure. I see it as a necessity to his being. He has to fixate on something or he doesn't know how to exist. When he thinks the game is lost in the end, he just kind of floats about. Life becomes purposeless for him. He needs something that he can just drive for. Hmm. Nothing else fulfills him but that. Yeah. Uh, with his, with Jameson's side of the whole thing with Emily, and I, I think Avery states this in the book, but I wasn't sure if he really liked her or if he just really liked the game. The competition with his brother. Yeah. Or just even the challenges that Emily brought. You know, because apparently she loved riddles and puzzles and everything and she would give them to them and have them compete with each other and all of that. So with Jameson, I think Jameson is a person where you're never really going to know his true feelings. Because one, he's never going to show you and two, he's going to be way too driven on something else and way too focused on it for you to actually know. I think Emily brought out all... She preyed on the perfect traits in those boys. With Jameson, it was his fixations and his hunger. And with Grayson, I think it was his softer side. She saw something she could take from both of those boys, and she did. And when she took it, she didn't leave anything left for them. And so that's why they are so shelled when Avery meets them. And that's why they are so complicated. I liked, though, the flaws and, and the complexity of both Grayson and Jameson, though. There was something I valued in both of them and something that, even though it was a weakness, I understood it. Yeah, I think because Grayson and Jameson were the characters of the Hawthorne family that we got to know the most, we definitely got to see their layers and their issues and why their issues were a problem and how they dealt with it, especially how, like, they reacted to it, I think was especially telling of their characters. And I think they were just written really well for the story. I will say that I still prefer Jameson. Like, I want that. I want it. I want him to come find me in the middle of the night and be like, let's go race car driving. 
With with Jameson though, I just know it's temporary. And I I like it. I like characters that want something that lasts longer. I'm the complete opposite. I'm totally okay with temporary. <laughs> Commitment. <laughs> yeah, commitment's not for me. Marriage is a hoax. Don't do it. Okay, thanks. I, I don't even necessarily need commitment, but I like the idea that someone is is into you because they want to exist with you rather than someone's into you just because they want to be with you for a single moment. I can see that. I can see the allure of that. I still want the single moment, though. <laughs> commitment is still a no. No, no, no commitment for me. <laughs> like, okay, I wouldn't want him to be with other girls. I would, I would want his focus to just be on me. But again, just for two weeks. Okay? Like, just focus. Let, let's be monogamous. Monogamous. Sure, that's a good word for it. For two weeks. Okay? We'll just, like, spend lots of time with each other. Make good memories. Maybe do something else. <laughs> but after two weeks, we're done. You can do what you want to do. We can still be friends, but that's it. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> we're done. Nothing more. She was kind of manipulative. Emily was very manipulative. And she just had so many negative qualities and I honestly don't really see anything redeemable. It was hard to read that she had the childhood that she did and the heart condition that she did have and then for her to use that to manipulate others. It was terrible. She threw in like everyone that she could. First, okay, first off, her parents kind of suck for putting that on Rebecca, Emily's sister, and being like, yeah, so... Your sister has a heart condition and can't live like you can, so therefore you have to make sure she smiles and that's, like, your purpose in life. Like, your job is to always make her happy. Which is such a terrible parenting I can understand why they would do that. You know, they're saying, hey, always consider your sister. But that's also a lot to put on a person. That's also not her job. That's true. So, like, A, terrible parenting move. But second, Emily was just so manipulative And she just wanted to do things just so she could get her way. She threw in her sister. She threw in two brothers. She threw in Xander and Thea. She just threw everybody in. She took what she wanted and she didn't care. She didn't care who it hurt. And and I don't think she loved, personally, Grayson or Jameson. I think she loved what they could give her. With Jameson, it was experiences. With Grayson, I think it was most likely affection or just devotion. You know, she didn't care for them as people. She cared for them as objects. Basically. And it's just sad because she also, I feel like she also thought of that, she thought that way of her sister as well. Because she was like, Emily, when Emily discovered that Rebecca and Theo were dating, she was like, this is the ultimate betrayal. I was like, but it isn't though. Yeah, why do you, why, and also, why do you think you have control over this? Yeah. Why, who, who gave you the, okay, her parents kind of did, but who gave you the power to decide, oh yeah, you can date my sister, but you can't, and this cannot happen, but this can. Mm-hmm. Like, what, where do you get off on that? I mean, Emily was kind of a game master herself. A little, she really liked the thrill of games, I suppose. She liked 
the feelings that she got from it. And she liked the satisfaction or something. The power. Yeah. And she wielded it and she left these boys vulnerable and hurt and and in a state where maybe they couldn't emotionally put themselves back together because even a few years later you still see the effects of her on them you know Grayson basically flinches anytime her name is said and Jameson resorts to an alcoholic state in order to escape it like she had no Emily had no business making a competition between two brothers for her affection yeah. What kind of person does that? It was she gave me major Katarina Petrova vibes from the Vampire Diaries. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, it's sad the way she died, I will say. But shouldn't like shouldn't she have known that she couldn't handle it? But the thing is she had lived with restrictions all of her life. She didn't want any more. So True. even if she thought or even if she knew that that wasn't good for her, Every, she has been denied of everything in her mind. And so perhaps now she thinks she deserves everything in return. You don't. She doesn't. But yeah, I also, it's just, oh gosh. The effect that Emily had on those boys is just sad. It's so sad. But also the fact that I hate her is also a testament to her character. Because that is the exact thing I should be feeling. Oh, absolutely. She was written really well. Even though she... She wasn't even, like, a character that was interacting or anything. Like, we didn't even get, like, really any flashbacks of her, like, talking. Yeah, she wasn't living or breathing. No. But you still, like, just her her legacy, basically. You just know her from her legacy and you hate her for the it. The effect she had. Yeah. Basically, just a bunch of broken hearts. Well, also, emotional trauma for both her, for her sister for Grayson, for Jameson, even for the Hawthorns as a whole, because you don't, two people don't just go through that and it doesn't affect the people around them. Oh yeah, how did her grandparents, the Laughlins, how would they, oh, so sad. Even if Emily had done all these things and everything, it was a little tactless of Jameson to make out with Avery in her old bedroom. That's pretty brutal. Yeah. In fairness to Avery, I don't think she knew. I She, she did. didn't, right? Well, I think she kind of guessed, but I, she was also in a state of shock after being shot at. So I don't really blame Avery as I, much. I don't think it was intentional for her. No. Jameson probably should have known better, though. But again, Jameson didn't care about those minor trivial details. For him, it was just all about the end goal. So even if he registered that they were in Emily's room kissing, I don't think he would have cared. But at the same time, the reason why Jameson kind of left the riddle or the puzzle was because he figured out that the day that Emily died was also the same as Avery's birth date. So in a way, I think Emily had a hold over him more than he likes to admit. And so maybe that's also part of why he didn't really care. But I think that's just like a part of him that's just deep and he does not want to show. Also, I think though, no matter what he wants to believe, it's always going to be there. Yeah. Even years later, those boys are still beholden to Emily, even if they don't realize it. Which makes me think 
about Grayson since he he does have such a strong response to Emily and then seeing Avery kind of dressed up like Emily at that charity ball. It makes me wonder about his affection for her and like where that stemmed from. If it's just because she's another Emily or it's if it's because she's just her Avery. Yeah, I want I don't think it's necessarily because she's like Emily cuz I think she's kind of pro- Avery kind of proved that she's not. But like the same scenario. Same scenario or maybe just some just simil- some similarities. Like he can see this in her that was like Emily. With that though, I think the fact that Grayson was so affected that she did in a way resemble Emily in that moment and the fact though that he didn't do anything if anything he distanced himself showed that his affections toward Avery would be honest because if it was all just about Emily for him he wouldn't have recoiled he wouldn't have stepped back he took a retreat then true that is true but I also just can't help but wonder where his affection stemmed from that's true or supposed affection. We don't know yet. Lovers? Question mark? Boyfriend? Question mark? Past traumas of a bad relationship? Question mark? Hot makeouts and secret passages by a desk? Question mark? Grayson says he doesn't want to get involved with Avery to respect his brother? Question mark? Apparently. That, uh, that did happen. It's frustrating. Yeah. That's actually not much of a question mark. That's no. more of an exclamation point. Sad face. Crying emoji. Respect the emoji, but crying sad face emoji. Though it is to be expected of Grayson to learn from his mistakes. That's true. Or his supposed mistakes. I don't know if Jameson ever will, though. Oh, no. That boy has issues that he does not want to deal with. I can't blame him, but he he has issues that he does not want to deal with. Mm. I like, though, how the rumor of Emily began. How Thea implied that Emily died because of the Hawthorns, when in actuality, she was in control of them. Yeah. I actually liked the whole Emily side, too, because it wasn't just one mystery that was unfolding with, like, the whole Tobias Hawthorne side. There's also the mystery of Emily. But in the end, they both converged. They did. And the I, mysteries became one. Exactly. And I, I liked that side. I liked what Emily gave to the story. Avery is the main character in the Inheritance games. And overall, I really liked her. I thought she was really clever. And I thought that no one else would have been able to find out the clues like she did. In that sense, I thought she was irreplaceable. The one thing that I wanted for her was to be a little bit more independent in her clue finding. I feel like she was always searching for Jameson to hunt down the clues with. I wish that she would have kind of gone off on her own more and made it so that the boys would have to come to her. Yeah, that would have been great. Especially since the very first kind of like puzzle slash riddle that we see is the ring of keys that Jameson gives Avery when, she's first, when she first comes to the house. And she's like, um, no. And then she just like figures it out. And Jameson's like, she figured it out faster than the, any of us did. And then that moment I was like, yes. Like, I love that because it was kind of like an in-your-face moment. I'm like, that made me feel like, ooh, Avery's someone to watch out for, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that was kind of a sign to the boys. Hey, you're not the only player in this house. But after that, 
I wish I would have seen that a little bit more where again she is working in in her independence and solving things and that draws the others in because only she was able to do that. Yeah, I kind of question why Avery trusted the boy so easily. I mean, yeah, they're hot. I like I get that part. <laughs> right? But you also just technically stole their inheritance from them. Like I wouldn't be so quick to trust them. Well, a lot of the times I'm pretty sure she thought, "Oh, Jameson could be using me or he could be tricking me or or whatever." And so I thought that would maybe have her put some distance between them. I kind of wish that if she did get close to the boys, that there would have been more thinking of, how can I use this person to serve my needs? Like, maybe a little bit more manipulation. Because they used her a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just wish that she wasn't always trying to follow them. I wish she kind of took lead on her own. Yeah, or if she, like, realizes, oh, he's using me, I'm going to flip that back on him. Yeah. And kind of, because she's said to be tactical because, you know, she's a chess player at the beginning. She plays with the local homeless man. And so when you're a chess player and when you're good at it, you have to think tactically like that. And so I wish I would have seen that a little bit more. She was really helpful to the boys. I just wish that she would have kept her secrets a little closer to herself. Yeah, she's, Avery sucked at keeping secrets. Like, She'd be like, oh, okay, this is a secret. And then she just goes and tells the first person she sees. She's like, oh, I've been shot. Okay, I can't tell anyone. Hey, Grayson! <laughs> <laughs> or, oh, yeah, this is information that I have over these boys. Let's share just, it with them. Yeah, I'll just tell them. <laughs> like, she, she should have kept things closer to the vest. I wanted her to play the game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted her to have more... Like, she was involved, but... I wanted her involved more intellectually. Yeah. And I wanted her to guide things in the plot a little bit more. Because Xander was obviously in charge of keeping the game going. And so because of that, sometimes Avery would receive information that she didn't have to work for. Like the Black Force clue. How when you go above it, it's the form of a zero. And like the middle name clue that Xander gave her. I wish that... Those weren't given to her so that she could have figured them out on her own. Yeah, I kind of wish she had a more, a less passive role in the plot. Because it kind of felt like everything was happening around her instead of her causing things to happen. I understand that her involvement in the story it was designed by Tobias Hawthorne to bring the Hawthorne boys back together. But I feel like if she had taken more charge, it wouldn't have just felt like it was about them. But that it was still about her. Her, her uh, purpose in the story felt more like it was just to bring them together rather than just for herself. Yeah, it kind of made it seem like it wasn't like Avery was the protagonist. She was almost like a side character to the Hawthorne boys. Yeah. And I really liked Avery because I did think she was clever and smart and I liked her dialogue. And I just wanted to see that cleverness more. I also really related with her. Simply because I see an attractive boy and I tell myself not to stare, but it does not work. <laughs> she tried hard. She tried hard. But you know what? I don't blame her. I don't blame her. I think from the get-go to you feel something for Avery. Because the very first paragraph in the book is about how her and her mom used to play these games and that her mom died. And so you automatically kind of get that sense of, oh, she's lost someone she was really close to. 
and kind of that wondering of how has she survived since then. You kind of almost empathize with her immediately. Um, yeah, from the very first paragraph, really. And then you hear about what she does for other people and what she wants to do and how she wants to escape her circumstances by going to college and becoming a successful uh, acutorial... Actuarial. Actuarial analyst. (laughs) She wanted to do actuarial science or statistical risk analysis. Yes. Which, obviously, I couldn't do because I can't be saying the word (laughs) right. Like, she... She's not only intelligent, but she's very determined, and I would say scrappy, too. Yeah, she she can think fast, and she'll use what resources she has available to her. I like that she's not just book smart, but she's also street smart. Yeah. Which you don't really see a lot of. Like, it's either one or the other. Yeah. Also, too, with Avery, and like I said, I, I really like Avery as a character, but... Jameson and Grayson seemed so immediately raptured with her, and I was just wondering why. Because she wasn't like Emily. You know, I thought, for a second, I thought, oh, maybe she reminded them of Emily, so they were kind of interested in her, but she's very different from Emily. I don't think she would have emulated Emily. And so I thought, what was it that immediately had these guys taken with her? I think for Jameson, it was just the fact that she was a part of the game. Mm. I think that's where it stemmed from so like maybe later on spending all that time with her he then was like oh you know she's really intelligent she can banter with me there might be something more for Grayson though I do question where his affection came from because he kind of banters with her a little bit the first time she sees him because she's like oh you know a smart ass and he goes oh a girl with a sharp tongue Mm -hmm. And, and from there, he hates her because he thinks that she's a con woman. But then that slowly turns into something else. And I was just curious as to what specifically in her made him do that. Because I didn't feel like there was one action she made that turned his perspective. It was just more so time. Yeah, there wasn't like a single moment where Grayson was like, oh. Dang. Feelings? Question mark. My heart's beating faster? Question mark. I have affection for this person, question mark. Do I need to go to the hospital, question mark? (laughs) It's just, with Grayson, it was like he thought of her as a con woman, but the second that that was like out of the window, boom, he liked her. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't, but it was weird. Or then I wondered, is it because Jameson is interested in her that Grayson became interested in her? Because of the competition? Because they always had those competitions with each other. But at the very end, he's like, I can't be with you because my brother likes you. But is that because of what he's learned over the course of the story? Maybe, but I feel like if he was competing with Jameson, he would have had a more aggressive method. Well, I don't think he was intentionally competing, though. Oh, it was like subconscious. Yeah. Oh. So I thought, oh, maybe that could be a reason why. Maybe. I could see that. So then, though, I go, okay, so are his feelings genuine then? I feel like Grayson's are way more genuine than James. Well, I think so too. And in the end, when he said, "No, I don't want to get in," be- I don't want another girl to get in between my brother and me. I that felt genuine to me that he said that, and I felt like that f- was genuine to her in that that showed that he wasn't just going to use her as a weapon against his own brother, which is appreciated. Appreciated. I mean, if I was ever in that situation, I'd be like, 
Thanks, man. I mean, you're still attractive and I'd still make out with you, but thanks, man. I respect you. Though, I, I, I will say I did appreciate Avery's relationship with Xander. Mm. Because it was never more than just friendship. And, and it felt honest. It didn't feel like there was another motive. Even though Xander was kind of the game master in this instance, he still felt true with her. I mean, he had, like, the whole scone thing with her, which, I mean, that couldn't have been a part of it. And he also did tell her a lot of truths. That's true. Within, like, him trying to get the game going. That's true. Like, the whole, I'm not, I'm sorry, the, the, the scone thing just, like, holds a place in my heart. Just that was, it was just so funny. It was so funny. Like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe I can have, like, a blueberry scone now. Mm, don't get ahead of yourself. No, you no. have You have a lemon. <laughs> You're not ready for that. But then with Avery, I question, do I appreciate her because of the relationships she had? Or do I appreciate her for her? Because sometimes I feel like a lot of my affection from her, for her, sorry, stems from the interactions she's had with the other characters, like with Xander in that instance. Oh. Huh. I feel like if she had a more... What's the the opposite of passive? What is the word I'm looking for? Active. Thank you. If she had a more active role in making things happen in the story, I don't think that would be the case. But since she kind of had, I I personally feel, a more passive role, I can see where why you would think that. Like, especially with, like, the more intimate scenes. Not intimate. They're not that intimate. But the more, like, tension-filled scenes with Jameson, for mm-hmm. example. And then, like, you get excited because it's like, ooh, tension. <laughs> Or, like, the softer moments with Grayson. Because I, I gotta be honest, the, the moments where she was, like, texting with Max and stuff, like, I didn't feel that affection for her. Well, it just, those scenes were just kind of those scenes for me. Like, I, I, I found them necessary, you know? I felt like it was important to have Avery have someone she felt she could talk to. But that wasn't, I wouldn't remember that of her character, if that makes sense. Like, when I think of Avery, I don't think of those moments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that makes me wonder. Like, do I like her for her? Or do I just like her through the interaction of other characters? Hmm. A tricky, a mystery within itself. Alexander Hawthorne deserves everything. And here's why. He's the most lovable character, I swear. And it could just be because Taylor and I have this thing <laughs> for young... No, that's that's not, that's not a good way to phrase that. We have an affection for younger boys who are very innocent. I was going to have a... I was going to say a this, thing for younger boys and that just sounded wrong. This sounds wrong. We, we deeply sympathize and empathize with certain character types. They tend to be a younger boy who's innocent but clever and is very kind to the protagonist. Like Seth Clearwater from Twilight, uh, Ansel from Serpent and Dove, and now Alexander from <laughs> The Inheritance Games. Yeah, I phrased that really weirdly. <laughs> Do not take that seriously, please. But yeah, like when you're first introduced to Xander, he just basically comes out of this coat closet just like, what? You're in a coat closet? <laughs> That's what? And he kind of seems like a very, almost eccentric type. Yeah. A little bit. Almost kind of flighty, but not. Yeah. But throughout the whole story, Xander's 
kind to Avery. I feel like out of all the boys... He, he was the nicest to Avery. I also think he was the most genuine. Yes. Even though he was hiding a lot, I feel like he was still the most genuine. And he was very intelligent. Like, dude had patents for, like, robotic crap and everything. And he did, he did Rube Goldberg machines, which are very difficult. Can I just tell you? I had a project once in science, and I had to make one of those, and it is not easy. But also just, we do kind of see his innocence within just these tiny aspects of the story. One, because he is the youngest of the Hawthorne boys. But two, just like this, there's this one scene where he's like, oh yeah, this this robotic dragon sometimes explodes. So just be careful with that. And I'm like, that is such a boys will be boys thing. Like, yeah, I'm going to create this, this dragon, this robotic dragon and it might explode. And it kind of did on me, which is why I only have one eyebrow, but it's really cool. Come check it out still. Mm -hmm. As soon as he came out of that cloak closet, I was like, all right, if anyone touches him, you're dead. Yeah. I will kill you and I will kill myself in this room. (laughs) (laughs) I will take us both out. (laughs) But he did have that softer side, I think, to him. I think he had that innocence that I feel like had been corrupted in Jameson and Grayson. Where he hadn't been hurt in the way they have yet. Well, hopefully not yet. If anything happens to him, (laughs) I will beat someone up. But there's also that side of him too, where it has Jameson's hunger. And it has Grayson's furtiveness, his calculations. Where he's never really been a part of the game, but he's always wanted to be. But in a way, I feel like Xander has always been the bigger part of the game. Because you figure out at the end that Xander was the one who was making all of these things happen. He was not necessarily making them happen. He was helping them to happen. Because he was given the job by Tobias Hawthorne to make sure that all of his brothers, not all of his brothers, that his brothers were to solve all the, the riddles that Tobias Hawthorne left behind. And I still feel bad for Xander even though he technically is a part of, like, the bigger game, like I said, he, I think he just wanted to be a player and he wanted to win. And you know what? I sympathize. Because whenever I would play with my siblings as a kid, like, any game, I would always lose. Why? Because I was the youngest. Of course I'm not going to win. There's this particular game. <clears throat> it was called Peon. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was this game that my sister kind of made up. And it was just this game with these cards that she had made and they just had numbers on them. I forgot how to play it. But essentially, the person who lost, who was just like the biggest loser, would be called the peon. And so every time we would play that game, I would be the peon. <laughs> because I was the youngest and I didn't quite know how to play. And can I just say, it is, it's not a great feeling to be the peon. It's not. So I sympathize with him. I sympathize with him wanting to actually be competition for his brothers and wanting to win for once. But I also think too that with that with that desire he has, he still recognizes the game for what it is, a game. And that games are more than that. And that the players can be more than the game, essentially. Because he's seen his brothers fight and compete and battle for years and and it doesn't have to be that. But those brothers think it does. But I think Alexander knows that it doesn't. 
he has that evolved perception of what these riddles and clues really are. Yeah, I think out of all the brothers, Xander's the smartest out of all of them for a number of reasons. I think mostly just because while his brothers, excluding Nash, were just so focused on the game, he did focus on the outside perspectives. So like whenever, I think it was somewhere in the book it's mentioned that while his brothers were competing trying to figure it out, he was the one talking to his grandfather, which is not a conventional way, but it's a very smart way to go about it. Like, oh, I'm going to get close to the person making it and see what I can get. So he like, he kind of, he was a think outside the box kind of person. He wasn't just focused on one thing. To me, Alexander isn't a pawn. No. I think Jameson and Grayson, I think they're pawns. I think Nash, even though he doesn't think he is because he doesn't participate, I still think he's a pawn. I don't think Alexander is because of the reasons you've said. He knows how the game was made. He was responsible to keep the game going. Pawns don't do that. No. And I just, even though we didn't see Xander as much as we saw Grayson or Jameson, I still, that actually kind of made me want to see him more. Like, I wanted Xander to be an even bigger impact. Not that he needed to be. I just like Xander enough that I wanted him just to be yeah. there. It's just, it's a selfish need. Yeah, not just because we. I like his character type. I just love the idea of his intelligence. Well, because his, his intelligence brought so much in a subtle way. Mm-hmm. And also, every time he was in the scene, I'm like, make sure he has a blueberry scone. Keep him well fed. Keep him happy. <sighs> he was a him. lot of he was a lot of the humor as well, and I appreciated the humor. Like, there's this one moment where he's kind of cheering Avery up after like a hard day with the press or something, and then Avery's like, "Oh, can I have a can I have a blueberry scone now?" And then Alexander's like. Okay, don't push it. <laughs> We're not that close yet. <laughs> and he gives you, her a lemon one. Yeah, you, you work up to this. So I, I like that he had, like, this sense of humor with, like, his more double-meaning kind of speeches. And I like, too, how he was someone that Avery and the reader could go to. Kind yeah. of like a feeling of safety, happiness, love, joy. He's just, he's just the best. And Xander was the MVP. Yep. This this character will always be the MVP. Yeah, yeah. The young, innocent, kind boy will always be the MVP. Seriously, with the exception of, like, Billy Black, it's always gonna be. <laughs> it's always gonna be. It's gonna be that person. Yep, on that character type. I feel like Nash should have been a bad guy. Oh, you wanted him to be a bad guy? <laughs> a little bit. Throughout the story, I was like, there has to be a bad guy. There has to be someone in this family and, like, in this slew of characters that has to be the bad guy. So, like, while I was trying to figure it out, there were just a couple of characters where I was like, them. And for Nash, I mean, he's probably the least likely, I'll admit it. But I kind of wanted him to have, maybe not necessarily be the bad guy, but just have something more to him. Like, I've talked to Tay about this before, but... It didn't feel like he was one of the Hawthorne boys. It didn't feel like he was a part of the family. And you know what? I get it. I get that he wanted to separate himself from it. But he played a pretty big part in the story. And because of that, I wish that he had at least a bigger connection to the Hawthorne family. 
I actually didn't mind Nash's role in the story. I liked that he was kind of like the the guardian older brother and that even though he likes to keep himself separate from the Hawthorns, somehow inevitably he's always drawn back. He will always be a Hawthorne no matter what he does. But I liked the little details that we got about him. The fact that he kind of has the savior complex and that when he does come back time after time again, he tries to bring people to the household so that he can help him. And I like how even though it seems like being a Hawthorne is everything he doesn't want, it's still everything that he is in that he's smart and he has that calculating Hawthorne side to him and that he's intelligent, he can figure things out, but also too, he is in himself and he wants to keep himself apart from it. See, I didn't feel that Hawthorne side to him. I didn't feel the calculating intelligence or anything. I just, I wish I had felt the weight of his relationship with any of the members really like because he's seen he's seen to have affection for his younger brothers and that is seen sometimes and I did appreciate those moments but he didn't seem really close to them he didn't seem really close to them but it just he didn't seem like he was a part of it and I'm like again I, I get he did not want to be a part of it but just I something just a little bit more just tying him to the the family the the estate like any of those things. Now, I can totally see what you're saying, though, especially concerning the end, how all four brothers were needed to help open that room. And if he maybe had a connection to those brothers throughout the story, it would make more sense why his hand was needed. Concerning past and what those boys have been through, he was apart from it. Like, he didn't really have any involvement with Emily because, you know, Jameson and Grayson had fallen in love with her and Xander knew about it because... He was fake dating Thea and, you know, he's pretty close with his brothers, but Jameson was never really a part of that story. So I do Nash. get why... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Nash. Oh my goodness. So I do see why, especially concerning the end, why you would want more of him or to have a that larger connection. Or I can see why Tobias Hawthorne would want all of them there, even without Nash's involvement or lack of involvement with the whole Emily thing, since... It does seem like Nash was always apart from his brothers, maybe because he is older than them by six years, while the rest of them only are only a year apart. So maybe in that aspect, the deceased Tobias Hawthorne wanted to bring all of them together, but it's just, it's, for the most part, I loved Nash's character. I did. I liked the, the idea of this, like, lone cowboy who likes to save people. I actually, I liked it. He was a cool character. He was chill. But it's just that little, just that little bit more just to his character. Just that tiny bit. I'm really nitpicking here, but just a tiny bit. Did you want something more emotional? Maybe. Potentially. Maybe something more towards him having issues. Him having something lingering from the way that he was raised. From his childhood. From his mother. Anything. Anything along those lines. What I'm most curious about with Nash is if if he had an attraction to Libby or if he saw her as another person he needed to save because it felt a little bit like both initially I think he goes oh another soul I need to take care of I'm gonna try to help her but then I think it seemed like that was slowly beginning to transition into something else like when he stayed with her in her bedroom sleeping on the chair beside her bed and and little scenes like that I can see that especially since you're introduced very briefly to Melly, a servant in the household, 
who's there because of Nash. And it kind of seems like she has feelings for him just based on this small interaction. But then again, and like, it makes me think maybe like he has, he does this and like the, for girls and they're attracted to him, but then he's like, nah. (laughs) No. (laughs) But with Nash too, though, with the people that he helps, he kind of almost creates a little network of spies and a team of loyalty because even Oren goes, oh, you'll be safe with Melly because she's one of Nash's. Like, it's odd, like it's automatic that she's going to be safe because Nash is trustworthy. But it shows that Nash has control over the household somewhat. Somewhat, yeah. And that in some ways he can get what he needs or hear what he needs to. And I think a part of that was also his past relationship with Avery's lawyer, Elisa. Because they did, they were engaged, dude. They were engaged. Cowboy was not going to be lonely anymore. And so through her, I feel like he would have discovered a lot of things about his family, about his grandfather. And so I feel like Nash does hold this power, but it's subtle. It's subtle. That's what I like about it. That's where I see the Hawthorne side, is that you don't think he cares. You don't think he really has control over anything, but he does. Hmm. Yeah. I think he's an interesting character. I think I would love to see more development for for him or just, like, more interaction with him in a sequel. I would love to see him explored. Yeah. Oren was basically the ultimate bodyguard. And he kind of had, like, fun uncle vibes, but also stern dad vibes, but also... Big bro. Chill. Chillness. Yeah, like, he was a lot of things in one. Like, he was very protective, as he should be, because... It's a job. Head of security. (laughs) But it's also, like, he came to be, like, affectionate for Avery. You know? He's like, you know what? I'm gonna keep you safe. She she could always trust him. Yeah, Orin was, like, the only person she could trust. And he was organized. He was organized. He, like, he got things done. He was efficient. It would be hard to have to maintain the security over a really big house like that. That too. Also, he knew how to keep his distance, you know? Yeah. In the beginning. Literally. Mm-hmm. He had to. He had to. <laughs> like, he would, like, trail after her like a shadow. But also, even if he heard her talk with someone, he it never really felt like he was eavesdropping. More like he's like, okay, I, I have to be here, but I won't listen. Can I just, I really just want... Orin to just, like, make one comment about the whole love triangle thing with her, with Avery, Jameson, and Grayson. Because he's been there for almost, like, all of it. And I, he has a pain. He opens his suit. It's, like, Team Grayson, Team Jameson. <laughs> yeah. um, with Orin, though, I thought it was so funny because, well, not, I gotta stop prefacing things like this. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. With Orin, when Avery got shot at he goes hey it's probably the best idea not to tell everyone about this you know it's just smart because you know they're suspicious yeah and and kind of the idea like you don't want them to think that they have the upper hand and so avery proceeds to immediately tell the first person she sees grayson about what (laughs) happened and oren's like dude one thing i asked you to do (laughs) one thing (laughs) you, you couldn't keep your mouth shut I also liked Or Oren though because I think he realizes that 
even though all this craziness is happening, Avery's still a teenage girl. And that she still deserves the freedom of a life and experiences that aren't shaped by fear and manipulative forces. And so I think he wanted to protect her, but then also still let her have a life. He was protecting her physically and emotionally. Yeah. Team Orin. Wow. Yeah, forget Jameson and Grayson. Let's get up. Let's, 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 let's hype up Orin here. Orin. Orin. Oh, wait, but what about Xander? Oh. Well, not as a love interest, though. Oh, no. Neither of them is love interests. No. No. We don't believe in that. (laughs) (laughs) I also feel like Orin should have been left more money. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he obviously got left a lot. I mean, $300,000. He got got more than everyone else. Yeah. Except for Avery. But I'm still like, I want him to have more. (laughs) Do you see how much he has to put up with? Like, he should have gotten at least a million. Yeah. At least a million. Yeah. But no, he got like 350000 or something. Which, and you know, it's, right. a, it's a sum. It's yeah. a sum. But for what he does... I mean, you're $46 billion rich. Yeah, you can't spare a million. You pay people right. Exactly. And, and you know what? He had years of loyalty and service. Like, Orin's the one person that Tobias Hawthorne could trust... And seriously, you couldn't have given him more. And he had to deal with some complicated people. Mm-hmm. He had to deal with Sky. I personally think Livy should have been a bad guy. Because I feel like, like, throughout the story, she's kind of built up to be. But then I was like, oh, no, Livy's just a baker. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> um... I personally didn't mind the role that Libby played. I never thought that she would be the bad guy, personally. I think her purpose to me in the story was more so just to be a bit of a familial conflict for Avery and to also be her support so that she's not in that house just by herself. I can see that, but just this is the way that I saw it. So Avery's mom dies and Avery has to go with someone. And Libby's the person who kind of takes her in. Kind of when, I would say, like, unwillingly. Because, you know, like, she's, like, what, 23 at this point? Like, you don't want to take in a teenager when you're 23. Mm-hmm. So that happens. And then she has this emotionally abusive and physically abusive boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend on again, off again. Which is not Libby's fault. You know, she's, she's not, she's a victim in that kind of situation. But then... I don't know. I felt like Libby was the one who stood to gain the most out of the situation. Out of of situation. Out of Avery getting out of the picture, because well, one, she does have that tie with Drake, and she was not blocking him. And then it was told to uh, to the readers through Elisa that if Avery were to die, then the the inheritance, the forty six point. $2 $2 billion would go to her heirs, which would be Libby or her father. So in my eyes, like, Libby stood the, she stood to gain the most from Avery dying. And she did have the closest relationship to Drake. So in my head, I was like, she she makes the most sense to be the bad guy. So I perceived uh, Libby differently. When she took Avery in, I actually saw that as a selfless thing. Because I, I, I and I thought Avery said this, where 
she took her in when she didn't have to would have been when it would have been really stressful for her to and it's not like Libby would have gained anything from taking Li Avery in she actually would lose more than she gained because at th that point she obviously didn't know Avery would come to inherit 46 million dollars and at the household I didn't feel like Libby would know that she would inherit the money if Libby sorry if Avery died she didn't but she was also like She's all, Libby's technically Avery's guardian, so in Avery getting money, Libby would get money too. But also to, from what is presented, I didn't feel like it, she would be capable of doing that because it just didn't seem to be in her nature. I didn't feel, I didn't really feel the weight of Libby's nature though. The only thing that I really felt from her was that she baked a lot and then she made some questionable decisions. For me, I feel like it would have been... Why murder someone to get money when living with them would still get you that same money? It wouldn't give her the same money, though. But she'd still have... She's, she would profit off of it. Yeah. But, I don't know. Though Just, like, from all the mysteries and things that I've read and seen, like, from my point of view, Libby was the one that I had, like, the most That would be an suspicion. interesting plot twist, though, because that would explain the connection to Drake and why he came in to shoot Avery and who got him access and such. Yeah. The biggest curiosity I had li with Libby, actually, was just Nash's relationship to her. Because I couldn't tell if he kind of had a thing for her or if he just saw her as something he needed to help. I know that when someone helps someone else, uh, it, of course it doesn't always mean affection, but the way that Nash was helping Libby made me think that maybe it was a little bit because he fell asleep in the chair in her room when she was asleep, which if you're just helping someone out just to help them out, I don't think he would do that. I mean, yeah, the implication, the just sheer implication of seeing Nash in Libby's room. Ooh, scandalous. So scandalous. Get the tabloids. Like, oh yeah, I was just helping her. Helping her with what? <laughs> like, the way he goes about things, I'm like, I just, I question Nash's methods. Well, also even the, um, the little servant, Melly was kind of suspicious when she saw Nash walk out of Libby's room. Like, what, but was she suspicious in a jealous way? Probably. Question mark? She gives people breakfast? <laughs> question mark? <laughs> Secret toward love affair with Nash, question mark. She sees her lover, who may not be her lover yet, walk out of another woman's room, question mark. Ooh. Someone's about to get poisoned, tea. Scandalous. It's safe to say that Sky Hawthorne is a pretty jacked person. <laughs> she has a lot of issues. She has a certain apathy toward her sons that is interesting because you don't often see that portrayal of a mother in fiction. At the beginning, it makes she makes it seem like, oh, I love my sons because when you first meet her, it's when Avery first goes to Hawthorne House and she's like, yes, I had four lovely boys with like four lovely men, four lovely conversations or something. And you, when you first meet her, she seems like kind of like a very free-flowing, kind of flaky person. Mm -hmm. And then you get to know her, and then she, she, you just see her issues. 
even though she seems a bit, like you said, flaky and such, there's still that kind of deep, not sinisterness, but calculation to her. She, I feel like even though she puts on that front, or, oh, four lovely conversations, whatever, that there's still that calculating side to her. I mean, she's the, the daughter of to- Tobias Hawthorne. She has to have that sort of furtive side to her. Yeah. She, Sky was just very passive aggressive as well. <laughs> Not calling Avery by her right name. Yeah, she's with that. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I love people who steal my birthright. She's <laughs> <laughs> just, just so passive aggressive. And she. <laughs> petty. Very petty. Very petty. Though mm, I can relate to petty. But there's also this one scene where Jameson goes and talks to his mom in her room. And she's basically like, yes, come in. Everything, right? And then she's just like sitting there naked in a bathtub. And you're like, okay, this this is what's happening. And I think that's just, I don't know. I think that's a good portrayal of like who she is. Because on the outside, very naked, vulnerable. But on the inside, she's, that, that, that lady has like things going on in her head. She lets you see what she wants to let you see, I think. Yeah. And I think she does certain things for slight intimidation because when she, when you let someone in into your bathroom and you're in the bath, it's not necessarily you you're making uncomfortable, it's them. Oh, absolutely. That's kind of, it's kind of funny though. (laughs) But it gives her power over that conversation. Oh, it does. Oh yeah. She's very good at getting power. In slight ways though. That's what I'm saying. She's very clever. She, well, I wouldn't even say slight ways because- When her sister, Zara, is trying to have a baby, she goes and has a baby at 17, first one. Six years later, she has another one. A year later, another one. And then a year later, she just, like, kept leaving, coming back pregnant. Leaving, coming back, coming back pregnant. Like, that was kind of mean on her part, especially to her sister. Yeah. Who was trying to have a kid. Her retribution is quick and fast and brutal. Seriously, like, woman... Yeah, she she takes her revenge seriously, I think. Yeah. But she isn't the type to do it herself. She does she's not a direct type of person. She does everything in a subtle manner or indirectly. Yeah, it's very slight. Yes. Like her use of Drake and how she got him to shoot at Avery and Jameson in the woods to try to take care of her problem. Basically, like this throughout the second half of the book. Avery's kind of, Avery's life is put into danger because of a shooter, because of a car and everything. And they're trying to figure out who it is. And then at the end, you discover it of Sky, And it, you know what? It makes sense. You know, even at first I was like, oh, she might have good intentions towards her sons. And she's wanting to get the fortune for them because if Avery dies, then they still have some rights to the Hawthorne Foundation, which gets a lot of money. But then I was like, but she's not maternal. She's not. She's doing this for her and she's doing it through ways that she thinks are going to get her what she wants. I think to her, her sons are investments. And as soon as they're not profitable, I don't think she'll care about them anymore. Which is such a sad thing. She's very material. She is. She's very vain. But even though she's all these things, again, and I think this is what the author does so well. I don't necessarily hate for hate her for it. I can almost understand it, again, through her upbringing and what we know about her. It just makes sense for her character. I mean, I think I would be too if 
my younger brother died and my father then disinherited me because he no longer has a son and therefore has no heir. What? I'm sorry. Did I not? Was I not raised by you? Do I not deserve some of this? And when you grow up being treated as a pawn, of course you're going to do the same to others. Yeah. Oh, I kind of wish I had seen Sky and Zara's relationship a little bit more. Maybe just to add some more impact on the death of Tobias Hawthorne II. Or supposed Supposed death. I think, though, that if there is a sequel, we will get more of that. I think the focus in this book was simply to establish the Hawthorne brothers and what went wrong there. Yeah, I can see that. So maybe in the sequel, I just want to see a little bit more of Sky and Zara's dynamic. Thea was kind of like the mean girl, but also not of the story. It was like she was helpful, but then she also had her own agenda. She was also, like I said, when we were not recording, dramatic at the worst possible times. Like, she couldn't have given Avery more information than... Oh, this girl that the Hawthorns knew died. Like, she could have solved that so easily. But she's like, no, I'm going to let her sit on that. Yeah, let's just, let's just keep that in, in, in. Oh! (laughs) Let's just keep that shrouded from Avery. We're just going to, we're just going to give like little hints about things throughout, throughout the story. Also, I'm going to be super passive aggressive and dress her up just like Emily for this big debut she has at the ball just to mess with the Hawthorns. Dude, that was messed up. Also, I'm like, that's a complicated plan. She had to print out a picture mm-hmm. of what she wanted her to look like. She had to give it to the stylist. Actually, I guess it's not complicated. <laughs> Thea said that she was doing it for Emily. She's like, this is what Emily would have wanted. And I was like, why are you doing the bidding of a dead girl? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the most sheeple I've ever seen. Yeah, and I mean, like, she was, like, the one obstacle in between you and your lover, a.k.a. Rebecca, Emily's sister. That was what I was a little confused about. Why did Thea care so much about doing what Emily would have supposedly wanted her to do when, if anything, she should have hated Emily for how Emily treated Rebecca and thus put a stop in their relationship? Yeah, Thea did not seem like the type of person who would take that kind of crap. Mm -mm. So it's weird that she would take that from Emily. Was Thea friends with Emily? She was her best friend. Oh, well then that makes it even... Okay, okay. Why did Thea feel such a loyalty to Emily? I don't know. There's literally no reason for... Maybe Thea like somehow feels guilty about her death. Maybe she was like, oh, she had this heart condition and I wasn't as nice as I could have been. But at the same time, I'm like, even if she had this heart condition, she had no reason to manipulate you like that. And I, you know that. But also, too, was Thea even really manipulated by Emily? Well, emotionally, yes. Because when Emily found out about Thea and Rebecca's relationship, she was like, this is the ultimate betrayal. Mm. And so then I was like oh, we shouldn't have done this because of Emily's feelings, which I mean, really? No. She's not involved in that. I feel like Thea would be more guided by vengeance against Emily rather than doing things for Emily, like how she manipulated uh, Avery. Yeah. 
Or like, why, why, why did she hate the Hawthorne boys so much? Because in her eyes, they wouldn't have necessarily been her enemy. And it's not like the Hawthorne boys tortured Emily. And it wasn't really their fault that she died. No, but I think like maybe Thea was like, they were involved in the death of my best friend. So maybe that's why, but her best, maybe it was just like guilt. Maybe it, guilt would make sense. Guilt could work. Yeah, but I kind of wish that was a little bit more, that was shown a little bit more in Thea. Or I wish in Thea we would have seen more of a manipulation from Emily. Because, like we've said, Emily got in the way of her and Rebecca. So why would Thea feel so beholden to her still? I just wish like we would have maybe gotten a little bit more of Emily's influence in Thea's actions. Yeah, especially because it kind of seems like, ooh, Thea's really suspicious. Why is she doing what she's doing? Yeah. Poor Rebecca, though. Like, she couldn't be with the person she wanted to be with. Her sister died, but she was super mean to her and manipulative. She had all this, she had the secrets from Tobias Hawthorne that he gave just to her for, like, no reason whatsoever. Wait, what secrets did he give her? She knew about the secret tunnels. Oh, oh, I see, I see. And she saw Sky with Drake, and she didn't tell anyone. I'm like, okay, you could have. You, 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 you could have you, you told could've. someone. Yeah. But it was also like, maybe Emily was just like really emotionally manipulative to the point where it took such a hold on Rebecca. Especially, okay, for Rebecca, I get Rebecca's side. I get Rebecca. Thea is the one I don't... She just doesn't seem like she takes crap from people. And I feel like she would recognize when someone is manipulating her. Yeah. But with Rebecca, I mean, that was her whole life. I mean, there was, like, her parents and then Emily. So I kind of get why she... Why Rebecca would be the one to be like, yeah, I was doing this for Emily. Mm -hmm. Especially if she felt guilty. That, like, oh, my sister died because I showed Jameson the recordings. Which, I mean, kind of fair on her part because her sister was manipulating well, two boys. Well, also to justice for Jameson. And for just just vengeance for, like, Emily kind of tearing apart her and Thea. That's true. And, like, she she felt guilty because of that. So, yeah, I can kind of... I, I definitely see Rebecca's side, but Thea's just didn't make sense. Like I said, I just wish we would have seen a little bit more of the hamper of Emily on Thea. Because, like, again, Thea just doesn't seem like the girl who gets pushed around. Yeah, It you, seems like she's the one who does the pushing. Yeah, and it's it just, it seemed like she should have had more of a reason, especially since she was Zara and Constantine's niece. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, she has this connection to the family. Oh, she's here. Why is she here? Is she going to get the money back somehow? How is she going to thwart things? Mm-hmm. So it's just, I kind of wish she had, like, more of a reason that fit with her character. Me too. Yeah. So one of the biggest complications for Avery in the Inheritance game um are the complications that come with being rich about how you can't trust certain people around you, about how certain people try to target you and use you in order to get what you have, and how the paparazzi stalking your every move. It's trickier, I think, than I thought it would be to deal with. 
At first, I was like, oh, boo-hoo, you just inherited 46 billion freaking dollars. Oh, that's so sad for you. <laughs> but then she, it was all like, yeah, you need a bodyguard with you at all times. Like, you're going to be shot at. You're also going to... Can I just... Like, the car chase scene where, like, the car was trying to get them to tip over. I was like, that's, like, my worst nightmare. I hate driving as it is, and that's, like, my worst nightmare. So, like, as the book progressed, I was like, okay, you know what? There are some complications. You get all this luxury, but there are some things personally that are just very difficult to deal with. With the car chase scene, though, anytime I watch a car chase, I'm just like, just step on the brake. You step on the brake and the other car's going to go, and then they're going to stop because they're going to have to follow you, but you already made a (laughs) (laughs) U-turn. I think they still, but then the car chase resumes. (laughs) <laughs> then you stop again. <laughs> <laughs> you turn. <laughs> I know, but if they try, I mean, oh, I guess if. <laughs> or like, if I see a guy's going to try to bump into me to roll me, break, <laughs> and then they go off the road. And I'm like, haha, NASCAR, biatch. <laughs> but it would be hard if everyone who treated you badly or people who ignored you or people who just didn't really see you all of a sudden are like hey how you doing Ah, it would be the worst like i just thought about that i was like how would i react if i came into a bunch of money and it was highly publicized and people who i haven't talked to in years suddenly came up to me and was like hey remember how we were friends and i'd be like huh no i don't Or I was thinking with the paparazzi, because they follow her everywhere. And in the story, Avery begins to realize that she has to tell a story with what she wears and how she acts and certain things like that. And I thought, I could never do that. The paparazzi would have so many articles about me. Like, Taylor eats 30 pints of Ben and Jerry's <laughs> this week. I think that's a lot better than what would happen to me. What would happen to you? That'd be like, Kami, house hermit. Is she dead? (laughs) Haven't seen her for eight weeks? (laughs) Hasn't stepped out of her house? I mean, I'm just... Serious. I I don't know. Like, I would be okay with, like, the the stylists and, like, the hair people and the makeup people. Just because I hate doing that myself every morning. (laughs) Like, I'm not... Like, I like looking cute, but I hate putting in the effort to look cute. Unless I have, like, six hours in which I can, like, dilly-dally. You know? Like, you take a shower, you kind of, like, lay on your bed on your phone for a little bit. And like, oh, I should probably blow-dry my hair. And then you kind of do a face mask while you're blow-drying your hair. And it's just, like, a great time. It's a great time because you're not rushed. Now, this is the thing, though, with paparazzi. Is that no matter what, they're going to make you look bad. So, why do you have to change yourself in a sense to like no matter what they're gonna make fun of you well i think with a paparazzi what they like to do is they like to build someone up they're like oh look at this person look at all they have they're so attractive they're so rich they're so talented and then after a while they're like oh that's too boring so then they start tearing you up Hmm. but really i mean it's 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 like you trade in your privacy and almost like your freedom in order for all this luxury and you must wonder, is it worth it? Well, $46 billion. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, as a homebody, I wouldn't have to go out that much. Yeah. 
And if, if I was really that rich, I could just be like, hey, personal assistant, let's call you Dave. Hey, Dave. <laughs> Dave, go to the grocery store. I want some gummies. Also, get some Gatorade because I'm not drinking enough water. You know, I can already <laughs> tell you that Dave is planning your murder. <laughs> My favorite set of clues easily in the book were the middle names and how each middle name of each Hawthorne brother corresponded to a location on the premises of the house's grounds. My question is, how didn't, how didn't they figure that out earlier? Because I think it's what, Xander's middle name is Black Forest? I think so. It's literally in their backyard. They have maps of these things with the names. So I didn't quite understand why they didn't figure that out earlier. But I will admit, it was a very clever clue. I think you don't immediately, you don't always think about your middle name, though. I don't have one. Oh. <laughs> I, I know that. <laughs> the way you said it was so... I'm I've so, always I'm wanted sorry. one. I just didn't, I just didn't get one for reasons. But I thought that clue was really cool because it took you to different places on the grounds. Yes. And I liked how it made it personal. It made the intentions of this game very clear. It's supposed to have something to do with these Hawthorne brothers. Yeah. And I like the way that it was incorporated. It wasn't just, like, a location. It was also, like, things. And things that the Tobias Hawthorne cherished. Like the Davenport desk mm-hmm. and the Black Forest and... The Winchester rifles. Ooh, I loved the Winchester. I thought that one was cool. That one was really cool. And what was the last one? It's Westbrook, Davenport, Winchester, and Blackwood. Okay, so I was wrong. It's not Black Forest, it's Blackwood. (laughs) And it's not Nashwood, it's Westbrook. So (laughs) I have terrible memory. I will say that the author did well with the clues in that as the reader, you wanted to figure them out before the, the protagonist did. Or at least that wasn't in my case. Like with the whole figuring out the four numbers from the four middle names, I was like, it's gonna be this number. I was wrong every time. But it was it was nice to feel like I was a part of something. Yeah, it felt like you were a part of the adventure. And that's what I liked about the clues too, is that they felt like different clues. I had never heard of clues like that before, so that made me even more intrigued. And I liked how they were tricky clues, but you also feel like you could solve them. Maybe. I mean, not me, but I'm saying someone else. <laughs> I liked the riddles, too. Yeah. I thought that they were fun. Like, not, like, way overly complicated. Like, that you were able to figure them out. But they were still, like, tricky enough where you had to think about it. Wait, you could figure it out? Because I had no idea. I literally whispered out loud to myself the, the riddle. <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, I figured out a little bit of them. Not all of it. Like, but just, like, a little bit. The first one? I'm trying to... Well, the first clue happens because... It was in their letter. Ja- yeah, Jameson looks at his letter and he's like, there's got to be something here. Our, my grandfather wouldn't have left us with nothing. And then I think it's Xander is the one that's like, Tobias Hawthorne didn't have a middle name. Like yours truly. That's true. Are you the new Tobias Hawthorne? I should just give myself an anagram of a middle name now. Ooh, what are you going to do? How about Zap? What? <laughs> It's an anagram for pizza. Oh. Ah. 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 I 
think the first, the very first, like, clue clue was, well, it led to the clue of the middle names. But it was reading the red will with the red acetate. Mm. Which I thought was a cool touch. I was like, oh, I kind of want to do that. I want to go up to a will and, like, shoop, shoop, shoop. Oh, what words are going to pop up? I like, though, how it was kind of a secret code, how Avery went up to... Elisa and was like, hey, I need to see the will. And Elisa kind of got the clue in of, oh, the red will. And I'm sure Avery was like, there's a red will? Okay. <laughs> I was like, that's not wow. I'm, I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> and the reveal of the middle name. Oh, wait, no, the first clue was the, the books. Yeah, that's where they got the red acetate. Yeah. That was hot. Can I just say? <laughs> can I, can I, okay, can, 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 can I, this might come off. Is a little desperate, because it kind of is. But can I just get a boy in a library alone? You could kidnap one. Within legal <laughs> manners. And can this boy please be a heartbroken one? Preferably rich, but not necessary. Not necessary. Oh, that's nice. I know. And also, just, I just, yeah. Yeah. Though, it would take a really long time to have to search for a book with the wrong cover. True, but also, how did Jameson know that it was that specific library? He didn't. They tried out a few over the course of a few oh, days. Oh, right, 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 right. That's Because he goes, I got bad news. <laughs> There's five libraries. Oh, that was a really sexy moment for me. Well, because he said it in her ear. Yeah, he kind of, like, was leaning close to her, and then he, like, whispered it in her ear, and his lips were really close to her ear. But then he, like, what book nerd wouldn't want to hear? I have bad news for you, but there are f- more than five libraries in this I house. was literally just thinking, I was like, to some people that may not sound sexy, but to me, that's the hottest thing in the world. <laughs> hottest thing you could have ever said to me. <laughs> but with the clues, I think associated with them is the whole secret passageway thing of the house. Which is so cool! Like, I want to be able to, like, press in a panel and then have to, like, put in, like, a little code and then twist it, like, two way, two, two times clockwise and one time counterclockwise to open a freaking cloak coat closet. I just wanted to pull down the candle. <gasps> that was, that one was cool. But also, too, I like how the secret passages can also initiate romantic rendezvous. Because no one knows where you're moving and where you're going and it's just the two of you and it's dark and it's cramped. Maybe a, <laughs> I was just said maybe a little what? <laughs> I meant like in like two the, ways. Like, like the hallway is damp, uh, and there's that sort of seclu- seclusion. No, oh, hottest you. the hottest makeouts could have possibly oh, happened there. I loved when Avery went through the secret passage by herself, and then she stumbled across upon Grayson. <gasps> right, and you're like, I want something to happen. Surprise, surprise! One of my favorite moments was when she was with Jameson. And they, they, she had to hold on to him because they were like, it's literally, okay, a rotating wall, what? But there was a rotating wall and it was like rotating them as well. And so she had to hold on to him until they got into the next room. And I was like, dude, just make out already. Please. You're in a secret tunnel. No one gets that chance. Secret tunnel. I just, I, okay, I could just spend all day in that house just like figuring things out. I would love that. It would take me for freaking ever. But I love it. The only danger is that you could get lost at any second and no one would know where you are. Yeah, but that's a risk I'm willing to take. A very risky gamble? Mmm. Anagram. (laughs) 
You would just be sitting and you'd hear, guys, help. I'm in the wall. <laughs> I'm stuck. I don't know how I got here. I pulled a candlestick. <laughs> the wax dripped onto me. It hurts. I don't think I was smart enough to understand the ending. <laughs> <laughs> I read it. I just thought, I don't know if I get it. <laughs> and it's nothing against the author. I think it's just against me. I think the ending was kind of like a little bit of a surprise because you're like, what? More clues? More mysteries? And there were some things that were just left unresolved. For a reason, though. For a reason. So ultimately, the numbers that Avery, Grayson, and Jameson pulled from the middle name clues created the date that Emily died and the birth date of Avery. Yes. Which ultimately leads them into a secret tunnel underground. Underground. That takes them to a place where all four brothers and Avery need to be present in, op- in order to open the last door. And in that last door, there's more letters for everyone. Well, first off, in order to get into the room at all, you needed Avery's face. Mm -hmm. And then you needed all four Hawthorne boys to go in and put in their handprint. So basically what the dead man was saying was that he wanted all of them to do it together. You couldn't just leave Avery behind. Or you couldn't just leave one of the brothers behind. They all had to do it together. Exactly. So, and then they come into this room and they just see this box with some shiny gold letters, like Scrabble letters, on the box. And it's Avery's full name, Avery Kylie Grams. And so then they're like, oh, in order to open this box, we need to figure out what the anagram is. And so then Avery figures it out. She's like, no freaking way. There's no way this is a thing. And it turns out her name is an anagram for the phrase, a very risky gamble. Which, I gotta say, is a pretty cool anagram. I mean, my name doesn't spell that. I know, my name doesn't... My name's weird and won't spell anything. But then when they open the box, it's another set of letters for everyone. But the only thing left for Avery was this little packet of sugar. Which is associated with a day where she was with her mom when her mom was working as a waitress. And she's building this little tower of sugar packets. And that's when then we figure out that was the first day she met Tobias Hawthorne. And Tobias Hawthorne heard Avery's mom say her full name. And he found amusement in in it in that he could create that anagram of a very risky gamble. And so from there, the plan began that he would name Avery his heir and thus try to bring his grandsons back together. Now, I'm not gonna lie, when I first read this, I wanted Avery to have a bit more of a personal tie to Tobias Hawthorne. I mean, I, I totally get the a very risky gamble. It's supposed to be a gamble. But I also wish that there was a little bit more importance into why she specifically was selected, rather than, than it just being a passing occurrence where he heard a little girl and her mom talking in a diner. Yeah, I kind of wish that it was because Avery was really intelligent like she was good at solving these puzzles and these riddles and so if anyone could do it she could or even if it was like an algorithm that he had created to select a very special person and the algorithm selected her I don't know I just wanted it to have a little bit more weight yeah but I was also a little bit confused on how if if Tobias Hawthorne had anything to do with the fact that Avery was born on 
October 18th and Emily died on October 18th. Because it's a strange coincidence that not only is her name, not only can her name turn into a very risky gamble, but she was born the day that girl died. Yeah, and that's not something she can control, but I'm just like, how how did that all come together? Like, did Tobias Hawthorne maybe have something to do with Emily's death? Or with Avery's birth. Because Harry, who is potentially the missing son, has known Avery for quite a while. She plays chess with him and gives him food and money. True. So maybe not Tobias Hawthorne the first, maybe it was Tobias Hawthorne the second. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, throughout the story, Avery mentions that her and her mom used to play a game about what, about secrets, where they would tell each other a secret that they've been keeping. And Avery was thinking about a secret that her mom was going to tell her on her 15th birthday. And I thought that would pan out more in the ending. I thought that would affect the ending. So it feels weird to me that was mentioned, but then it didn't matter in the end. Yeah, that was one of the things that was unresolved in the story that I was I'm really hoping um, is talked about in the sequel, if there is a sequel. But I will say, I liked how Avery's first letter letter that she received at the will reading from Tobias Hawthorne played into the ending, where he said, I'm sorry. Essentially saying, I'm sorry that I had to use you as a pawn to bring my family back together. Yeah. But, you know, I still, like, even if even if Tobias Hawthorne had something to do with Avery's birth, what could he have done about Emily's death? Like, how, how, seriously, like, that blew my mind. I was like, no way. There's no way. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's too much of a coincidence. There has to be something more to that. Right. Because it's way too lucky that you have a girl with an anagramic name, I don't know if that's a word, who also was born on the day that a girl close to your grandson died. There's no way. No, it's all, it's, it's all very, it's too purposeful to be a coincidence yeah it couldn't have been that random and so i wonder if maybe it was that random or if there is a sequel if it will be addressed in that sequel i don't want it to be random i don't want it to be a coincidence no i want want it it. to have purpose well because tobias hawthorne was so smart yeah and again it just seemed weird to me that avery would only be picked out of the coincidence of her name so maybe she does have some bigger significance, and that's just going to be in the next book. But for now, from what we know, she just kind of picks because of a random day at a diner. A chance, yeah. basically. But the the cliffhanger at the end of the story is the letter that Alexander receives. Yeah. Where it's basically another clue for a new game. Find Tobias Hawthorne the second. The missing son. Which is interesting that Alexander is the one who got that letter since he was the one who's kind of keeping the puzzle and the game going for the deceased Tobias Hawthorne. So I think it'll be interesting to see his part in the next game. I think he even thinks too, I've never really gotten to be a player before, but I get to be a player now. Yeah. Which, go Alexander, we're rooting for you! Oh, poor Xander. I know. He deserves everything. I I would give him $46.2 billion. Yeah, right? I feel like he's the only one that does... Okay, not the only one deserved it. He's the one that deserves it the most. Well, he he did so much with the opportunities his grandfather gave him. He really like did. Like all the patents and what he was able to achieve. And 
And he wasn't as competitive as his brothers. Like, he knew when to stop. Yeah, and I think that's an important lesson, too, is to know when the game has become too much. Yeah, because, like, Nash doesn't care. Grayson and Jameson are way too competitive with each other. So I think the obvious person to inherit all of it would be Xander. It's funny because in that Grayson and Jameson let themselves be players, they will always be beholden to the game. But since Xander is always outside of it, he's the one in the end who's actually the game master. Basically, yeah. Thank you all so much for joining us in today's in-depth discussion about the Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. We hope that you will join us in our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed our content, don't be afraid to subscribe to the series and follow us on social media. On both Twitter and Instagram, we go by the handle at Kiwi and the Bird. And, and remember, like a library, at Kiwi and the Bird, shh, happens. If you made it this far, get ready for some bloopers. And in this ep- well, I need to clarify my words a bit. I sound like a trash troll. Oh, what? I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> in order to hear what the will has to say. Because <laughs> the will is sentient. And she's required by law to go to how. And she's required by law to go to how. <laughs> oh no, that gives feelings to a piece of paper. It's like we're speaking backwards and forwards at the same time. I went to second grade. I know how to form sentences. If I do it too much, it actually makes me dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're doing great. Thanks, it's because of my anxiety. Piety. Not the right word for that. Piety is so um, pilgrimish. <laughs> and you know, like, oh, bad guy. Oh, is her sister? <gasps> that would have hurt me. I always hate betrayal stories. They actually really hurt my little heart. They do, but it makes you feel, and that's the point. I know, but it burns my chest, and, and then I get sad, and I have to curl up for a second. Aww. <laughs> and play with the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so depressed over that red card game. <laughs> That we had a butterfly museum field trip the next day. And I told my mom, I was like, I, I can't go. <gasps> and so I stayed home. That's how much it affected me. I, and I would lay on the carpet downstairs and just play with it. <laughs> I, was, I was so sad. I was this like, is the sad thing <laughs> Didn't think it'd get that sad, did ya? Oh, Speedy. <laughs> Your laugh is my favorite laugh in the world. <laughs> ah! Your laugh has like a little wheezy echo. <laughs> it's so when I was younger, and I still kind of get it to this day, but I would lose my voice for about half the year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in school, that was always really tough, especially my seventh grade year. My seventh grade year was really bad. I lost my voice literally for, like, six months, so I couldn't talk to anyone. Oh, I think I heard about that, actually. You were the girl who lost her voice. Oh, that's nice to know. <laughs> I'm glad I made an impact. <laughs>
one of the worst ones was in Spanish class because we had a really big oral test mm-hmm. where you had to stand in front of the class and and do whatever we need we needed to rem- remember something. And so I went to my teacher and I said, "Señorita, I I can't give my oral exam because I can't talk, you know, I can only whisper and I don't think anyone will hear me." And she goes, "No, Tay, no, it's totally okay. You know, it's all right." You'll give the oral exam, but you'll just whisper. It's okay. You'll just go up and whisper, okay? So just go up now. Go up now. So I had to stand up in front of the entire <laughs> class. Apparently the girl lost her voice. <laughs> and everyone staring at me. It was a full class. 40 kids. And I had to go, Hola, mi nombre es Taylor. And one kid in the back is like, what? I can't hear her. <laughs> and I'm like, Hola, my name is Taylor. What? What? I can't hear her, senorita. Can, what is she saying? <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> or like, what is it? What's the one where they're on horses with hammers? Croquet. <laughs> um, yeah. No, no, no. It's no, no, no. Croquet. Yes. Right? Yes, I think it's polo. <laughs> <laughs> I will never understand your fear of teachers. It's like the one, like, but that croquet is also a rich person game, too, because I played it in Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Wait, you're, you're basing your perception of rich people on Alice in Wonderland? Yeah, the queen of hearts. She loved croquet. And, you know, she she's had, like the queen. She had a pig as a chair for her feet. But it was really soft and comfy. When I lived in Colorado, we lived on this guest ranch, and a lot of um, wealthy people would come visit there for a week and they'd stay and they'd enjoy the festivities. Like they'd go on horseback rides or go glamping, which is glamorous mm-hmm. camping. Mm. And <laughs> one time we got a complaint from this one family when after they went glamping and they were complaining about our marshmallow roasters for s'mores because they said these are way too short. We were burning our hands in the fire because the marshmallow roasters were so, so small. And we were like, um, ma'am, they extend out. (laughs) You have to pull the roaster out. (laughs) Like, they were by the fire, like, this close, burning their hands because they didn't know that it was extendable. Oh. How did they react after that? Were you just like, just like, take it from them, just like, wordlessly and be like, shit. (laughs) I would have paid to have done that. I, I mean, I was like 10, so mm-hmm. I wasn't really in charge of that. <laughs> but yeah. There are a lot of speeders. Dude, I was going on the, I was on the freeway the other day and my sister and I, we were going five over the limit. Okay. Five over the limit. Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and this dude starts tailing us and we're like, no, no, no. You do not get to tail us. We are going five over the limit. <laughs> but he keeps tailing us. Why didn't he just pass you? Because we were in the HOV lane. And he oh. couldn't cross the double white line. So once he cro- so once the, 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 the opening came from the HOV lane, he got out. And I swear, that dude went like 95. And I was like, where's Highway Patrol? <laughs> you guys have one job. <laughs> So this is character. Okay. That's what we're starting. Yeah, on a scale of Oren to... Who's the most unchill? 
Sky? Sky? He's Orn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who he is, but I'll beat him up. Mm-hmm. I always say I'll beat people up. I never really could, though. Would you want to know when you're going to die? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You would? I wouldn't. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be like, oh, okay, so I can plan when to do this and this and this and this. And then for this last month, I'm just going to go crazy. Great. You're like, oh, thank goodness. This gives me a great way to plan things out. (laughs) It's like if I know when I'm going to die, then I don't have, like, the burden of, like, trying to further my life, you know? Like, I don't have to protect my longevity or prosperity. I I wouldn't want to know, personally. Why? I don't know. Okay, so certain things, questions that don't have an answer, I don't typically linger over. You know how a lot of people go, you know, why are we here? Why are are we here on earth? Or when will we die? Or whatever. I, I just don't really think about those questions because as I'll never have the answer, I don't worry myself over about it. Oh, wow. You're a very, like, practical person. I'm absolutely that kind of person. I linger over everything. Well, because I'm, like, I can't worry about something until I have to worry about it. And so, if I all, all my life I'm questioning the point of my existence, why would I cause myself that stress when I can create my own purpose? You can, but it's also if you don't think that you can create your own purpose. If you're just sitting there, like, what's the point of my existence? And it's, like, how can you carry on if there's no point? And, apparently, he's a great kisser, so, <laughs> 10 out of 10. They kind of had an old-fashioned yeah. feel to them. They had very much had that old money feel to them, like, yeah. Nash Westbrook Hawthorne. Like, this person would nag you for not having money. ironed clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Snobby Bobby. Our physics teacher didn't really know how to teach physics. I actually don't know how we survived in that class. I don't, I didn't learn a thing. I, Hertz, H-E-R-T-Z. Oh. Watts, W-A-T-T-S. Do you know what Hertz measures? The amount of pain in my heart. Oh. The SI unit of frequency equal to one cycle per second. Look at us. You know where I learned that? Not physics. Learned that in AP Chem. What up? Shout out to my teacher whose name I'm not going to say. We love you even though you hate onesies. And fake British accents. Oh my gosh, you went so hard at me. (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to have fun. It was only for a second too and he just snapped. He snapped so quick. (laughs) (laughs) He turned on me and he gave me the wrath of hell. Blonde hair and silver eyes. Wait, he had blonde hair? Didn't he? <laughs> we both <laughs> have to go research it. He also has features sharp enough to cut rocks. Oh, you know he I need good... that for my geodes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even own one geode. <laughs> How did these things come to your head? Like... I was just gonna say, you know that boy's got a jawline. Mm. <laughs> jawline so sharp he could get you out of Alcatraz. <laughs> you mean Avery? <gasps> also, I also say, yeah, because of Lilo and Stitch. Oh. For a second, I thought you were gonna say yams. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> 
yams. And I was like, do you, do you like yams? No. I don't either. Those aren't the ones that are like sweet potatoes, right? Every, uh, I, like, I think they resemble sweet potatoes, but oh. every time I eat a yam, I feel like I've aged a hundred years. I don't know, it's just like the name, like, yam. I feel like I've rever- reverted back to baby food. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yams condescend me. Wow. Yeah. That uh, food does not often do so, that. You think you can eat me? You think you can be a tough girl <laughs> eat me? <laughs> no, you're just a baby. You're just a baby in a hundred years. Oh, you go. Know. <laughs> <laughs>